Today we sit down with Father George Elliott, priest of the Diocese of Tyler and pastor of Catholic Nacogdoches, to discuss what does it mean to have a thriving parish. We talk about their discipleship pathway, how they are forming parish leaders, and how this model of accompaniment has impacted the way they minister to engaged couples and college students. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to Life Beyond the Chariot, a faith and family series from the St. Philip Institute. We believe we are called to not only know, but also to live the truth of the gospel within our homes, in our workplaces, and beyond. We believe we are invited to encounter Christ in the messiness of day-to-day life and to live as his disciples. Welcome back to another episode. Today, we are really excited because we have a special guest, Father George Elliott from Catholic Nacogdoches. How are you, Father? Doing great. Thanks for having me on the the show. I'm excited. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, and how many places you're responsible for in the diocese? Yeah, so I'm a priest of the Diocese of Tyler. I've been ordained for eight years now, and I'm assigned to Catholic Nacogdoches, which is a kind of, um, we call it like a hub or a group of churches together. So there's uh, Sacred Heart Parish and then three mission churches, which is Our Lady of Guadalupe. And Our Lady of Guadalupe is a largely Hispanic parish. And then Immaculate Conception, um, that is uh, kind of a country parish and Our Lady of Lords is another kind of country parish and then campus ministry, um, just St. Mary's Catholic campus ministry at Stephen F. Austin. Um, and then we have uh, a school as well, Chesterton Academy, which is called St. Boniface. Nice. I love that you're one of our younger priests, but you have a lot of responsibility in the diocese. Yeah, there were many years in my life when I thought to myself, who thought this was a good idea? But you know what? We survived and things are going great here. So apparently the Holy Spirit knew what he was doing. <laughs> You're doing great. You're doing great. Well, one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you, like last episode, we were talking about the marriage catechumenate. And one of the things that came out of that conversation was this idea of parishes really intentionally um, accompanying couples through married life and into family life. And a lot of that revolves around a healthy parish and having a pastor that's really like clued in, plugged into what's going on and really can see um, all of all of his parishioners and have a good sense of his flock. Um, and as we were kind of brainstorming, like where are places in our diocese that are doing that? You came to mind because of Catholic Nacogdoches and just a lot of the fruit that we've um, just had the privilege of seeing um, and having the opportunity to work with you. Um, but I guess the the first question for you, Father, would be, you know, when we talk about a vibrant parish life or knowing that a parish is healthy, what does that look like to you? Or how do you kind of measure that um, and have a sense of of um, the health of your, your parish communities? Yeah, there's a really good book that's called Made for Mission by uh, Tim Glemkowski. Um, where he does, I think, a really good analysis of of the parish. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, there, there are certain areas where the whole area is growing, you know, not just the Catholic community, but the whole area is growing. And you'll see growth in that that spot. And people will say, oh, wow, look, we've got this thriving parish. It's, it's growing so much. 
but actually it's the whole community that's growing. And then the parish is just kind of riding on the coattails of that. And so, um, you know, you can really only look at growth as one of the like examples of thriving of a thriving parish if the population as a whole is not really growing. Um, and so I really think that when you look at uh, what does a thriving parish look like, it comes down to really, you know, what are your confession lines? How <laughs> how long are the confession lines and what are the quality of the confessions that are being made? Um, and then also, what is the, the individual prayer life of people look like? Right? So if, you know, you say, oh, yes, what is your prayer life like? And people say, oh, yeah, I pray. I say in our father in the morning. It's like, okay, well, yes, that you, you do pray. That's good. Um, but and that's not quite to the level of really having a prayer life. It's not something that you're living out of. And so when you when when a parish can begin to see that no, there are, you know, there's a significant portion of the parish that is is praying daily and has that commitment uh, with time set aside every single day, you know, minimum five minutes all the way up to, you know, people shouldn't scoff at the hour, at the idea of an hour a day of prayer uh, kind of broken up throughout the day. Uh, when you can get to that point, that's when uh, I think those are some of those external signs that you can really point to and say, mm, yes, this is this is a truly thriving parish. And it's not just, you know, having some of these other effects that that are really the, the greater world affecting what's going on in the parish. One of the things that I was reading was actually from this other book. Um, okay, now I'm drawing a blank. I think it's called great Catholic parishes or something. And it had listed like four of the, um, I guess, four hallmark hallmarks of a healthy parish. And it talked about spiritual maturity and spiritual growth, which, because that's, um, I mean, you can see the confession lines, like anyone can go and see the confession lines. Um, and in, I think in our diocese, there's a lot of people in confession, which I think is really great. Sometimes yeah. we have to get early before mass. Just so you can see like people scurrying to try to get it so they can get it in before mass starts. But um, but how do, how does a, a pastor go to assess like the prayer life of the individual? Um, you know, if that's like a sign of vitality, um, where does someone start or like a pastor or parish leaders to say, okay, do the people that we're serving have this individual prayer life or do you just see the effects of it? Yeah, so this, I think, it, it parallels something that we did fairly early on here in Catholic Nacogdoches, and to be honest, we're still kind of rolling this out, right? We're still trying to work it out and figure all of these things out. You know, Deanna made me laugh a little bit when you're like, oh, yeah, like, it's this thriving person. This is like, we've, we've arrived. You're like, yeah, you know what people, what's going on in your person? I thought to myself, like, man, I wish I knew <laughs> what was really going on because it seems like it's it's just this constant process of trying to figure out what's going on okay what's the next step that we need to take and how do we how do we do that and get everybody else to do that um but uh kind of the 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 process that we've been following thus far has been essentially giving people an ideal right this is what we're aiming for and then also saying okay you may not be at this ideal you know, depending on where you're at, here are the next steps and really concrete things that you can do to get to that point. Um, and so at a very parish level, we cre recreated kind of vision, mission, and values, just this ideal of what we want our parish to look like. Um, and then we also created a what's called a discipleship pathway that kind of breaks down that spiritual maturity into, you know, a handful of steps 
or stages that we talk about and kind of what are the characteristics of each of those stages and what are the practices that someone has in those stages? And then also um, kind of how do you grow through that stage to the next one? Um, and so, yeah, very similar thing. I mean, part of that discipleship pathway and our vision, mission, and values is prayer, um, prayer in the sacramental life. And um, yeah, so making sure that we're just constantly putting that ideal out in front of people and saying, hey, this is what we're aiming for. This is what we're aiming for. This is what we're aiming for. And then breaking it down very simply saying, yep, here's here's step one, you know, pray five to 15 minutes a day. And when you do that, you know, you can read the the daily readings. You can maybe pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet, pray a decade of the rosary. If you like reading, you know, find a, a Catholic book that you really like and just spend some time reading that. You can read two pages, you know, just take the bookmark out, read your two pages, turn the page, put the bookmark back in, close the book, move on with your life, right? Um, just, just give really concrete things that people can do. Um, and obviously always encouraging people to, to pray how you can pray, not how you think you should be praying, right? What is it that actually connects you to God? Do that. When that doesn't work anymore, try something else. I love that. I The thing that comes to mind is just like pastors pastoring is something that really brings me joy to see. It's like the fact that you've invested, you know, so much focus on that or that there's even a pathway, you know, how many what would it, what would our diocese look like if all of us were having these types of conversations about, um, you know, dis- discipleship pathways? Like that doesn't we don't we don't hear about that as often as we probably should. So, like, in what context do you have the opportunity to to talk about these things with parishioners? Is it something where it comes like just from the pulpit on Sunday in a homily, or are you just in- engaging with with parishioners in other ways or yeah what does it look like yeah so <clears throat> once again you know i'm on a i'm on a pastor pathway i guess i don't know what the right word pastorship pathway right so it might <laughs> the ideal in my mind is everywhere right that we are talking about this absolutely everywhere the places that i find it easiest to talk about or i find that i i, I talk about it most often is um is obviously in, in homilies where we're preaching about it from the pulpit, you know, encouraging people, hey, you know, here's this ideal that we want to hit in this specific area. So now let's, you know, here are the steps that we can take. And, you know, if you're doing this, take this step. Um, and then also we have uh, a number of four uh, kind of settings in which we we form specifically our parish leaders. So just volunteers who are in charge of ministries or who are just heavily involved um, you know, pastoral council, things of things of that sort. Um, and so we talk about our, our vision, mission, and values and our discipleship pathway all the time in those meetings. We're pumping it into them all the time and really encouraging them to then echo that into their groups. Um, and then lastly, uh, in just kind of one-on-one settings, uh, whether that's a very formal spiritual direction or just a conversation with someone or um you know, even in in confession and just giving kind of brief advice uh, in, in confession and things of that sort. So we try and do it in all of those different places. But I think to myself, man, I could be doing this in a lot more places. You know, we could get this a lot more into the bulletin, into our media and every single one of our groups. Um, so anyways, that's that's probably my next next stage of growth. <laughs> um, you have some amazing people that work with you in Catholic NAC. Um, and they're just phenomenal. And it seems uh, from the outside looking in that you have a great leadership team. 
um, which I think is also um, really important to sort of help in the vitality of one's parish. How did you get such a good team? And what uh, what do you do as a pastor um, to really, because you know that you need them. I mean, I'm assuming you know that you need your team. <laughs> and um, I mean, what what is some advice that you have on people who like either want to be a part of a team or a pastor who wants to form that? Because that seems like kind of a large task. Uh, so what what sort of worked for for you and your team? Yeah, so <clears throat> with a couple people super early on, I have to admit that um, I just got lucky, or at the very least, it was totally the Holy Spirit, right? There's definitely a lot of prayer going on, but I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and we just happened to hire a couple of really outstanding people. Um, and then I spent a lot of time um, actually learning from Protestant churches, if I'm honest. There's a there's a podcast called the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast that's run by a Protestant pastor that also has like a multi-site church because I couldn't really find any Catholic resources that taught me how to do the multi-site thing. Um, and so I said, well, you know what? We're not that different from the Protestants. And so I'm going to go <laughs> see what they're doing and try this out. And a few of the things that um, were really emphasized in that podcast and then other resources that I found out about from that podcast were first off, um, when I hire from now on, I hire first for culture. So it doesn't really matter what the person can do. Um, I can almost always teach them or send them to training to learn how to do what they need to do. There, there are very few jobs where it's really just, does the person have the talent, right? I mean, choir, like anything musical, they need to have some musical talent. Um, our accountant needs to have some, you know, needs to be a CPA. Um, and our facilities guys, they need to at least know how to swing a hammer. Um, but we can teach them a whole lot beyond that. And pretty much everybody else, <clears throat> we can train them up from, from zero. Um, and so, yeah, hiring for culture and being really strict on that, because we will get some people who man, on paper are just amazing. And they would be such a good option for that, but they don't fit our culture. And we have to tell them, hey, you're amazing for somewhere else um, because this that's just not what we are and how we are. So first off, clarifying what is our culture? And that was a lot of our vision, mission, and values. Um, and then hiring according to that and making that the most important thing when we hire people. Um, and then another thing that was really helpful was... Um, the idea of professional development, but not in an expensive way, but just, no, we, we, we read books together and then we talk about what we read. Um, and even if we don't necessarily agree with the books, uh, or even if we don't necessarily all agree with each other, that's fine. But those conversations give us the setting in which we can clarify how to apply our, our vision, our mission and values. We, it gives us a chance to kind of um, almost like turn over the soil, right? Get it all out um, and really kind of get into the depth of, of how we want to work as a parish and as a cohesive leadership team. Um, and I found, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a lot. We read one chapter a month and we spend 15 minutes at one of our weekly 
you know, leadership team meetings, call it directors meetings, um, discussing what that chapter said. And so it's not a lot, but it's been transformational for us. That's awesome. And I know we've, um, as our St. Philip Institute staff, we, I think we stole that idea from you uh, and and we've gone through a couple of books together. Um, but that does like unify vision. It's, it's amazing how just the simple act of reading a book together, um, can help to unify and clarify vision for the staff. Um, one of the unique challenges or opportunities that you have in Catholic Nacogdoches is because you have so many different locations, you're really serving a lot of different populations. But one of the things that I have noticed is that there seems to be some intentionality about bringing cultures together. Um, and I know that that's a challenge in the Diocese of Tyler. I was just with some marriage leaders this weekend and one of the things that, that some folks were sharing was just that, you know, sometimes in one parish, it can feel like two because you have the English speaking and the Spanish speaking parishes. And I know this is a challenge everywhere, no matter what, but what are the things that you've kind of seen that have helped y'all to, to work towards unity, to, to really call yourselves Catholic Nacogdoches and not to be like these isolated islands within one city? Yeah, so I think one of the most fundamental things is that the priest has the, the the pastor, whoever's in charge, has to be able to have real interactions with with every language group. Um, and you know, for the most part, that actually means that the pastor needs to be bilingual, at least here in East Texas. You know, where math, English and Spanish are kind of the two primary ones. I'm working on Vietnamese right now. We have a pretty strong Vietnamese community, but. Um, I think that's going to be a while. It's <laughs> going to take some time. Um, yeah. And so really kind of being bilingual from the top, um, because whether we like it or not, a lot of communities end up taking the shape of their leader um, without anybody really trying. And so if the leader is not in both, then the community is not, or both communities are not going to be in. Right. Um, and then aside from that, we just try to create intentional moments where uh, people can do things together and the language barrier not be a burden. Right? So we we generally try to minimize the total number of bilingual masses because bilingual masses are only enjoyable for people who are bilingual. Um, and for everybody else, it's it's nice because we're all here, but really it's just painful, right? So we, we don't do a lot of bilingual masses. We don't do bilingual classes. We try to minimize the number of bilingual meetings that we have. Um, but things like meals, uh, we have, you know, our Friday stations, we do stations separately, English and Spanish, because we have multiple church buildings, right? But then we all come to the, together for a meal because, you know, Eating is multilingual, right? Um, uh, also service. Uh, we've got several big service projects uh, where we go and work on people's houses. Um, and, you know, you only need a handful of words to to know how to fix up a house, right? In either language. And then, you know, we, we go and, yeah, we all, we all worked on this house together and look at it now. I mean, it's beautiful. Um, and so we'll, we'll do things like that. Um, those tend to be the the real concrete things that we do to to bridge people together. Oh, actually, one last thing: um, dancing is also um, multilingual, and so we have a kind of a World Marriage Day 
couple date night where we always include um, music and dancing because it's just so much fun to see, you know, people who have no ability to communicate otherwise out there on the dance floor having a good time. I love that so much. And I wish I lived closer to Nacogdoches because if it were down the road, I would be there doing the Cupid shuffle. Yes, and, that's right. And the electric slide and learning everything else. Uh-huh. Next I to love that, that y'all do that. Grandma and that, you know, young exactly. <laughs> newlywed American couple. It's it's wonderful. <laughs> exactly. So I, it is, It um, I get excited to hear about all of these things and some things that um, seem in thought so simple. I know in execution, it takes a little bit more planning, but that y'all have been intentional about how can we bring um, everyone together. So we know that um, the, the language barrier or the culture barrier can be one of the, a big challenge. Are there any other challenges that... Um, have been quite significant that either you expected or didn't expect and sort of really trying to uh, be unified in your Catholic culture together mm-hmm. and built and building up the, the vibrancy of your community. Yeah, actually one thing we're kind of in the middle of right now is um, this kind of disconnect between um kind of the Catholic status quo or, or what in a lot of books are talked about uh, is talked about as kind of a maintenance culture versus a mission culture. Um, and so, you know, in general, the maintenance culture is like, well, we're Catholic. We like to do what we've always done as Catholics because it's comfortable and we don't really want any change. I have my pew. And if somebody else sits in my pew, I'm very upset about it. And I'm going to complain about it. And I want to have the exact same events. I want to have the exact same potlucks that we have every single year. And, you know, we're just gonna, it's all going to be the same. And yes, I know that, you know, the generations after us are not continuing to practice their faith, but you know what? I'm comfortable and I don't really want to change anything. Um, that's obviously a little bit of an, an exaggeration. People don't say that explicitly um, versus kind of this mentality of, hey, guys, I, I don't know if you've looked at the numbers, but things are not great. And so we need to change and create a clear plan and you know make sure we're really um, faithfully adhering to the teachings of Jesus Christ and living it out in a vibrant way. Um which requires a lot of change um, and shaking things up and people being uncomfortable and all of that. And so, um, you know, I don't think I realized that so many people would be so opposed to change. I think that's really the thing that, right. Cause nobody stands there and they're like, no, I want to watch my parish decay and just, you know, <laughs> die out and you know nobody says that nobody thinks that but when we say okay well then things have to change then it's like whoa i can't i can't handle this change and any change that does happen i'm gonna fight it tooth and nail um and that's just surprised me um no i mean i know deanna's area of expertise is sort of the marriage the marriage part. Um, and I was an educator for a very long time. And I think when you are in systems, um, 
that, and I notice this all the time. And I even fell into it as a teacher. Like I went in there all excited, like I'm going to do things different, but really back then it was just to be different. Um, there wasn't really any virtue that I was seeking in that, but I came to find out that I just kind of got stuck in the same system. Like if I pour more energy into this system, then it will be better. And I even noticed that among a lot of educators, sometimes in like faith formation, it is really hard to break that, um, to break that mold. Like we, we can see something's not working. Um, and the idea of change is very intimidating, um, and a lot of resistance. So what advice would you give either to pastors who are hesitant to make change because there might be that fight will most likely be that fight back. Um, or parish leaders, if they um, are praying about these things and want to make changes, and even parishioners, I guess it's threefold, but pastors, parish leaders, and parishioners, what advice would you have in like moving forward, knowing that there's going to be some discomfort and growing pains in the process of moving forward? Yeah, there are two things that immediately come to my mind. One of them is, uh, <laughs> this seems counterintuitive, it's a to, to try to create a, a a kind of culture in which conflict is is perfectly fine, not interpersonal conflict, right now where you're just going at people of ah you're ugly and can't tie your shoes, you know. It's no, it's uh, it's like no, I I disagree with that idea. I think or I think this is broken and needs to change, um, or you know, hey, this keeps happening and it's not okay that this keeps happening, um. First off, what that does is it gets people into a situation in which they're okay with being uncomfortable, right? Because conflict is uncomfortable. None of us really like it that much. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I have to admit that I've stood in a number of very uncomfortable meetings because I encourage conflict so much in which people point something out. And, you know, like your first couple of years that you're in a parish and you're the priest there you can be like oh yeah that's a problem from before i got here but once you've been here for six years you know like no it's my fault if there's something wrong it's because i didn't i caused it or i didn't fix it yet um and so yeah like really having to stand there and uh take real ownership of of the problems that are, are present in the um in the parish and, and actually doing that in front of everybody um kind of gets everybody on your team almost when when you come up with the solution right you know and involve the people in in the solution for the problem but and so what happens in those meetings just to kind of lay it out more clearly is when there is a culture of conflict that means that what everybody is thinking but they're all afraid to say actually gets said and then everybody realizes oh we've all been thinking this yeah if we're all thinking this it's probably a real problem and then when the leader says, yep, this is a problem, let's think through how to fix it. Then first off, you get buy-in from everybody because they're now the ones identifying the problem and coming up with the solution. Um, and obviously the leader needs to guide the solution. And there are going to be certain solutions where you just say, no, we can't do that because you know we're a Catholic church or <laughs> whatever it may be. Um, uh, but it, it first off at least gets your leaders, the people who are in that meeting, on board with the change. Um, and then another thing, this is this I learned also from the the, the podcasts and you know 
Protestant resources that I found is this concept of communicating in concentric circles. Um, it's also a little bit, uh, let's see, Patrick Lencioni is a Catholic business writer. Also, he talks about it as ca cascading communication, but it's essentially the same thing that, you know, you communicate with your inner circle and you explain to them the problem and the solution. And then you go a, a circle bigger and you explain the problem and the solution. And then you, ex you know, a circle bigger and a circle bigger. And what happens is, you know, you make sure that you have those inner circles in the meetings with the larger circles so that when the people who are in these larger circles are hearing it for the first time and they're like, oh, I'm not really sure what to think. What they do is they naturally look towards their leaders. And if their leaders are sitting there nodding their heads, yes, because they've already heard this, they're totally on board, they've thought through it and they totally agree, then that next bigger concentric circle, they're all on board too, really just because they're not quite sure. They don't really do this all the time. So they don't know what the solution is, but hey, this other person that they trust is on board. So they're on board too. I love it. But I'm sure it's, there are bumps in the road. Oh, oh I'm sorry. My assistant director is, is looking up, but um, there are bumps, but that taking the time to have those difficult conversations in parish life, like that's so valuable. And it's so easy to not have those conversations. Um, but the, just thinking about the fruit of that long-term is it just contributes so much to the, the life of the parish. Um, as we're kind of wrapping up our, our conversation, I did want to turn towards um, marriage again, because what you were saying a moment ago about, you know, sometimes we have to do things differently in order to get different results. And um, what comes to mind for me and, uh, and just my little family life office is this marriage catechumen and this idea of we have to do something different. We can't continue forming engaged couples the same way that we were in 1990 in 2023. <laughs> and so um, one of the things that I've seen specifically in, in um, Catholic Nacogdoches is that y'all have really taken on this vision of marriage formation and are really doing the marriage catechumen, even though we don't call it that in our diocese, um, but this idea of accompaniment and it has, I mean, it took a little bit of work to get that set up in the parish, um, but I'm interested to hear from you, like, how has that impacted parish life, um, like changing to a model where we have mentorship and accompaniment? Do you see a difference um, in the life of the parish? Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I did want to talk about that too because it's this other thing that I almost like don't know how to pin it down of why it works so well, but it just does, right? It's it's kind of, I think of um, the, the Witness to Love program specifically, that mentor couple program, um, it, it I think of it as, you know, in a parish kind of like NFP and United Finances are in marriages that like, yeah, if you have, if you're using those two in a marriage, like for whatever reason, it just kind of works, right? You know, um, and it's the same thing with the, with witness to love in a, in a parish that, uh, so first off, I don't know if everybody's who listen, who's listening to this knows what witness to love is, but it's a, it's a mentor couple program um, for marriage preparation. They also do a, a handful of other things, but what I'm talking about right now is the marriage prep one. Um, and how it works is uh, the engaged couple can choose any couple that they want to be their mentor couple, as long as they're um, practicing their faith, 
they have been married for at least five years and they have a, a marriage that they admire. Is that right? Did I get that right? All right. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, and so as, as long as they have those things, they get to choose it. And, and, and what that means is that immediately the engaged couple is, is open to what that mentor couple has to say. Um, and the mentor couple, not only, you know, as they go through this program, which has videos that cut, carries, carry a lot of the content, and then also a book, a workbook that they go through uh, that carries a good bit of content as well. Um, so first off, the, the mentor couple throughout this whole thing is being taught uh, how to accompany someone else. And so, you know, we've got all of these people who now just know how to accompany another person, which is an important part of discipleship. Um, but then also it forces, it really kind of forms the mentor couple. So it's renewing some of our couples that have been married for, you know, 20 years or more. Um, they're having their marriage renewed. Uh, and then these engaged couples, they are getting a real look at what real married life is. Um, and they're developing these, these friendships with, uh, faithful couples in, in the parish. And so we find our engaged couples, they, they're much more sticky right after their wedding. They actually stick around and continue to attend mass. Um, and they are much better supported because they already have this relationship with a, with their mentor couple who they can turn to whenever they've got a, a rough time. In fact, um, yeah, it's, it's quite often whenever a newly married couple comes to me and says, hey, we're having these troubles. I say, well, have you called your mentor couple yet? <laughs> and they're like, oh, no. It's like, okay, do that. And then we'll talk. <laughs> and usually, you know, it's problem solved. They just needed to talk to their mentor couple. Um, and and then also, you know, obviously the um, the mentor couple just grows so much through it as well. It's just, um, it's really outstanding. I mean, it's a secret sauce there. Thank you for giving us like the best commercial for witness to love in our diocese i'm just gonna like take that snippet and, and share it with our priests but i i've seen something similar and i and i've loved the stories that you've shared with me about the couples who have come back um that are sticking around like you said and i think what i'm excited about with this marriage catechumenate is that we're doing a really good job i think and especially in parishes like yours where we're accompanying accompanying the engaged couples and civilly married couples um, before the wedding in a really intentional way, and then trying to plug them into parish life and continuing that um, and how important relationship is. And like you said before, Father, like relationship and uh, being a key piece of discipleship, like being able to accompany someone that's a key um key in in discipleship ministry and so when i think about marriage formation i'm like how how could a parish ignore marriage formation like we can't leave that out of the the equation because it's so integral to the life of a parish um but then also thinking about you know how do we help these couples um even before uh married life so I guess since you're working with college students as well, um, how do you kind of see that kind of plugging into parish life or, you know, vocation discernment or um, I don't know, I guess I've just kind of seen marriage formation as something that begins like right out of the womb and with our young adults that we should, I mean, in an ideal world, if I had a larger staff, like we would do young adult marriage formation, like before they're even engaged or dating. So, but what might that look like? you know, and, or what are you already doing or what would you like to see as far as 
helping your college students to to kind of plug into this pathway of discipleship and marriage, vocation, discernment, all that. Yeah. So I think of, you know, in an ideal, ideal world, uh, marriage formation does start from the womb and it's done in and through the family because you just grow up in a healthy family, right? Like, um, all of this that we do for marriage formation should not be necessary, right? In an ideal world. I'm glad it is because you're great and it's great to have you around, right? Um, but really in an ideal world, we don't need to give a lot of marriage formation uh, or we should not need to give a lot of marriage formation. And so, especially when it comes to the the college students, I find that <clears throat> you know a, a lot of them have never experienced a healthy marriage, right? They've never seen what a healthy marriage looks like. Um, and so one of the programs that we have, we call it the Emmaus connection, right? They're kind of like walking with Jesus thing. Um, and it's basically just a sponsor couple or a sponsor, um, a sponsor family for our college students. And really it's, it's primarily we, we target, um, and really encourage the students who have never seen a healthy marriage, uh, to, join that because that's really what we want to expose them to. Um, because as you mentioned with, with vocational discernment, I mean, in, in spiritual direction, I've, I've seen again and again and again, um, it tends to happen actually with women more than men, but it does happen with both. Um, somebody will come and be like, I'm called to religious life. I'm called to the priesthood. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, why? And they're like, well, I'm not really interested in getting married. And like immediately when I hear that, I'm like, there's something not right. <laughs> we are all naturally interested in, in getting married. If we understand what marriage is. Right. Um, and as I dig more and more, it turns out that they're not interested in the type of marriage that they have ever seen. And once they actually see healthy marriages, then it's it's actually very frequent that those people who walked in saying, no, I'm called a religious, I'm called a priesthood, uh, they actually go off and get married and have some of the most beautiful marriages. Um, and yeah, so I find that's one of the really big things. Um, but then also, you know, I think this touches on the, the retreat that we have here in the diocese for engaged couples, the, the three to get married. Um, that, you know, when you start dating, when you get engaged and in, in, in throughout your married life, you need to work a lot on your relationship with your spouse, right? And so if you don't already have a relationship with God, then you're trying to work on too many relationships at once, right? And it's going to wear you out and you're not going to do any of it well. Um, and so we really focus very heavily in, in with the college students that you need to have a good, healthy relationship with God and then also with yourself, right? You need to, you need to be who you are before you start looking for your other half. I love that so much. Yeah, I'm sitting here. I'm taking so many notes. I think this is one of the podcasts where I've just been like, okay, note-taking, note-taking. <laughs> Same. Um, I don't, Dean. I don't know what other questions you have. So if I'm out of place asking this question, let me know because I know we kind of are entering sort of the end, and I know you have another meeting to go to. But um, I'm just thinking about like you seem as the leader of Catholic Night to have like being very intentional about what you want to happen, like with your vision, your mission, your and your values as part of your conversation. Um, what about like if there's um, a parish where either the pastor is struggling with workload or he doesn't have a strong team or the resources to really pull that together? What advice do you have to just regular parishioners who are sitting in the pew, who desire um, 
this vibrant community um, and not knowing where to start? Like, what would you offer to the average Catholic sitting in the pew who's like, oh, this sounds really great. What do I do? Yeah, I really think that um, the average person in the pew, I, I'm actually about to, it's like a little ebook. I mean, it's like a super simple thing, but I'm going to publish a, a little book about uh, how small groups really kind of laid the pathway, laid, laid the path clear for the renewal that's happening here in Catholic Nacogdoches. There were several people that started small groups um, really before the, the thriving happened here. Um, and I see a lot of that work as kind of the groundwork that, that was necessary for what's happening now. Um, and so, you know, uh, open up your house a day a week. I've, I've, I've actually, I was just visiting a friend of mine who the wife leads a women's group and the, the, the husband leads a men's group and they do it every other week, right? So the men meet one week, the women meet the next. It's just one night of the week. Uh, it's late enough so that everybody can get the kids down beforehand. And then, you know, the dads and moms go over to their house um, and yeah, start, start studying, start growing together, um, have social events, open up your house on a Sunday afternoon and invite people over. And, you know, it can be a, like a potluck sort of a thing, or you just throw some burgers on the grill, whatever needs to happen, you know, um, just start building community around the, around the people that you can connect with um and and then start growing with them and if we do that enough then the place just renews from the bottom up um and when will this ebook be out because <laughs> where can we find it <laughs> i've currently sent it to somebody who's uh, kind of a well an editor i mean i'm and i'm I'm launching it for a cer certain reason and she's the one directing kind of that that program so it's, it's kind of to support her um so i'm waiting for her to hear back but she's got a lot on her plate right now so i'll let you know <laughs> well we'll blast it as soon as we find it and uh read it so thank you so much oh father thank you so much for this conversation we could probably talk for like another hour about all of these things and great but thank you so much for your ministry your yes i know the, the life of a priest is not easy, but having five different places that you're in charge of and just the the depth of um, that you've invested yourself in leading those places well. And um, I know it, it isn't perfect, but man, it is refreshing to, to talk with priests that have taken it seriously and are learning and growing right alongside their parishioners. But thank you for all that you're doing in our diocese and for leading in that way we're really grateful for you yeah well no thank thank you guys as well i mean we use we didn't talk about the baptism prep but we use that by the book as well and so thanks to thanks to both of you guys for for your leadership and uh for the work that you've done to develop those programs it's a huge part of what's what's going well here so thank you guys well thank you well father will you um close us with prayer and give us your blessing please of course in the name of the father and the son of the holy spirit amen heavenly father we give you thanks for the gift of, of our faith and the ability to be instruments in your hands um, to bring bring you to people uh, and, and people to you. Help us to, to always serve you with, with all of our hearts, um, with great love for your glory and for the salvation of souls. And the Lord be with you. Your spirit, in the name of the, may Almighty God bless you, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, go in peace. Thank, Thank you, you so God. much. Thanks be to God. <laughs> <laughs>